1: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, it's crunch time for the All Blacks World Cup contenders. We go one-on-one with New Zealand's sole NBA player, Stephen Adams. She's been called New Zealand's most successful canoe racer in history. We learn just why Lisa Carrington's so crucial to canoe racing's future here. Golfer Danny Lee reflects on his meteoric rise up the PGA rankings. The stars Joe Wilfred-Songer and Venus Williams are set to be on court in Auckland this summer. and Phoenix, co-journey Merrick talks about the club's later signing, Dutchman Jeffrey Sarpong. It's now a waiting game for New Zealand's all-black World Cup hopefuls. They'll be sitting by the phones, possibly hoping for a call from coach Steve Hansen this weekend. For Hansen will name his 31-strong squad for next month's World Cup at Parliament on Sunday night. The All Blacks will chase history when the tournament kicks off next month, but no nation has successfully defended their world rugby crown. The All Blacks' opening match is against Argentina at Wembley on Monday, September 21st. We're joined now by rugby reporter Barry Guy to discuss the likely squad. Barry, not surprisingly, there's a few areas of debate ahead of Sunday's announcement.
0: Well, Stephen, it's mainly uh, some players are going to miss out, is the main thing. Steve Hansen's in the fortunate situation of having plenty of players to choose from. He's worked over the last four years on depth, and he's pretty much managed to get that, and uh, injuries haven't been too much of an issue. I think around the uh, three quarters is the main thing, where he has so many players to choose from, who he's going to fit in. Uh, Are they only going to take four wing-slash-full-backs, and you have the likes of uh, uh, Savia Smith, Dag, Milner Scudder, Jane, Slade as a utility person, and even Naholo there. And if they do take four, there's going to be some uh, big names that uh, miss out. Locks to three locks, um, it's sort of, you get the impression that perhaps they may just take three. Normally you, normally you take four, but they could well go with more Lucy's uh, because you have the cover there that uh, Lucy's these days can. Pushing the scrum and jumping the line out and those sorts of things. So um, they they are the main ones, and of course we still have some players that are still trying to even probably just hours out from the name of the squad are trying to uh, you know show their fitness, which is a, which is another issue.
1: So so who do you think is going to get the nod, fullback slash wing, and who's not?
0: Okay, well, the two certainties are uh, Julian Savier on the wing and Ben Smith at fullback and we've debated it in the office uh, till the cows have come home and we all have differing views of whether Israel Dagg will be there as a, another fullback. It seems possibly he will because he's a good punter of the ball. Uh, Nehemilna Scudder has come on in the last couple of weeks and as we've all said has uh, somewhat of an X factor that the rest of the world hasn't really come up against and that that would be good. Um, uh, the majority of us think that Colin Slade has the utility uh, factor that he can play first five or pretty much anywhere, uh, perhaps except for the centres and the back line. So I sort of think he's going to be a contender for the outside as well. And so it comes down to the likes of uh, Charles Pieto, uh or Corey Jane. Or as I say, even um Wasaki Naholo if he's come back from that that leg injury, who might get another spot if there is one there. But but that could be it otherwise. Because in the centers you have Sonny Bill Williams. He's played on the wing before. Uh and you could possibly push the others around. So uh I, I think the likes of uh, Corey Jane. Uh, is going to miss out, and um, you know, he's he's been he's never done anything wrong, but you know, he has had a few injuries this year, so so he could miss out, and um, you know, it'd be sad for him because he's one of the key players in the last World Cup. Another area of debate: sort of two or three halfbacks. Uh, normally you take three, um, but I think things have changed. Uh, in that uh, if there is a major injury, you can call someone over. Uh, if it's an injury that you think mainly keep them out for a week, then you have some other players in there that uh, uh, can fill in. But I think really that Aaron Smith and TJ Perinara are so far ahead of the rest that if you do take a third halfback, um, you know, do they warrant being there on, the, uh, on their form? You know, Talwarakurbarlo or Andy Ellis. I think um, really, there's there's. Distance between the top two and the rest, and so I wouldn't take a third half back um, because you know you're possibly just using up a spot that could be used elsewhere.
1: What about generally? I suppose it has. I mean, Steve Hansen's obviously been pretty loyal to, to many of his players. Is, for, for the, is the World Cup going to be a, a, sort of a year too far for some of some in the squad, do you think?
0: Uh, there is the possibility, I mean. Even after the last World Cup, uh, you know, we thought there'd be some players that probably weren't going to be around in four years' time, but they're still here. Uh, You know, Richie, Dan Carter, uh, Jerome Kaino. Kevin Mialamu. Kevin Mialamu. um, You know, Israel Dagg, even. um, Manonu, Conrad Smith. But they all seem to have... uh, you know, tried to peak for this tournament. You know, they might not have been at their best. You know, in the last year or two, uh, obviously Carter has really just, I think, for a couple of years, just tried to get through without any major injuries, and he is coming into form now. Uh, Richie, a little bit the same. Um, there are some players. You know, Sam Whitelock hasn't hit his best for a while. Brody Ratlick had an injury course, and he's coming back. So if if you look at it positively, it seems that a lot of them are coming into form just at the right time, and I suppose what they'll try and do is manage them, because the All Blacks have a number of, uh, well, they play like Namibia, uh, Georgia, and Tonga, I suppose, as well, that other players will get game time there, and they can manage their players pretty much through this tournament until they get to the knockout phase, and then I expect more or less the top 15 to play the rest of the game, so... You know, while they might be a little bit long in the tooth, they have plenty of experience. And I think uh, because this whole squad, coaches and everyone have been together so long, they can they can work and manage all the players, uh, hopefully, through this tournament pretty well.
1: Thanks, Barry. I was talking to our rugby reporter, Barry Guy. New Zealand NBA basketballer Stephen Adams has been in the country, hosting several New Zealand Basketball Academy camps this week. The 22-year-old cop plenty of flack for choosing to make himself unavailable for the Tall Blacks' recent failed Olympic qualification campaign. Adams says he'd love to play for New Zealand, but concedes the timing wasn't right as he tries to cement his place in the Oklahoma City Thunder squad. Joe Porter sat down with Adams to discuss his Tall Blacks decision, what it's like being a cult figure living in its NBA dream in Oklahoma, and how he'd love nothing more than to line up with his sister, the Olympic shot put champion Valerie, at next year's Rio Olympic Games. First, though, they talked about the camps he's helping hold in New Zealand and how he hopes that'll inspire the next generation of New Zealand basketballers.
2: That's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to push basketball so then our future just raises our level and then we'll be, our Tall Blacks team will be just amazing. That's exactly what we're doing.
3: We ticked off, you know. I know you talked about the All Blacks yesterday. Should they uh, some, uh, create a small miracle and make it to Rio? Be something special to be there with your sister at the Olympics?
2: Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be. I mean, it'll be obviously once, once in a lifetime, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, I'll, I'll be looking forward to it, but just got to make sure I hey, tickle, tickle the big, tickle the boxes,
4: mate.
2: It's probably Val's last one, eh? I think so. I think so. I'm not sure though. She's a stubborn. She's a stubborn athlete, you eh? know. So I mean, she puts her body through a lot. Like she does so much to her body, and she's just amazing. Uh, most professional person I've ever met in my life. She's just yeah, really hard worker. So yeah, she's good. Man.
3: How are things going with the Thunder? I hear Kevin's been holding unofficial camps, getting you guys together early, chasing that title. I mean, obviously you guys are pretty geared up on the season.
2: Yeah, yeah. We always try to spend time to get the men in the summer, and um, he's doing well. All our teams doing well, man. We're just trying to really prepare ourselves for this upcoming season.
3: What was it like jumping into the Oklahoma City Thunder? A short career, college, coming from New Zealand, rubbing shoulders with the superstars straight away. Was was that a pretty surreal experience? Uh, it was bizarre
2: at first, but uh, just got used to it straight away. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just um, all my teammates helped me with that process, and yeah, and, that's just normal now.
3: And at the end of the day, they are just normal dudes that have a unique talent, right? Yeah,
2: they're humans. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so yeah.
3: And, and I mean, Oklahoma, how do you find living over in, in a sort of middle America?
2: Oh, it's good, bro. The, the fans there are just unbelievable. Just the people there are lovely. Uh, they're a lot like New Zealanders. <laughs> that's what they remind me. So it was just it was easy for me to like just get used to uh, Oklahoma. But that's pretty cool.
3: And have you brought anything Kiwi in particular? Have you given them uh, a, a hangi yet? A hangi? We, uh, my brother came over last year and threw
2: one down for them. Yep. Uh, it was quite good, eh? It was, it was quite a good turnout. Good numbers, there should be a lot more this year as well when we have one.
3: A... And the fried chicken, is that hard to resist? Fried chicken?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, they, they know how to fry some chicken over there, bro. Yeah.
3: And I mean well, you fighting for your spot on the roster, do you feel like you're fighting for your spot or you have to cement it or do you feel like you're just trying to put the next step forward in your career?
2: Yeah, just, just doing whatever it takes to win, mate. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really matter who starts or what position, yeah. it's just as long as we win. We're, we're all on the same teams so if we can try and get a championship. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do.
3: So, is that um, something that you found in, in all the teams you've been a part of? Is that, or is it unique to the Thunder? They're a particularly close unit? Uh,
2: I think it's a lot more. What happened, uh, what's different from before is that, like this, so this is my first time being a professional athlete, right? So I'm around them like 24 7. So I think it's more of a family vibe around the Thunder just because I spend a lot more time with them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And what about just the intensity of the season? You know, game every other day, travelling all around the players, pretty, pretty full on.
2: Yeah, it's really full on. They do a good job at uh, making us. Uh, be ready for the whole season they prepare us really well and sustain us throughout the whole thing it's really good
3: the amount of games you play you wonder where you even fit in practice
2: yeah you just get hypnotised bro you just (laughs) autopilot really throughout the whole thing but yeah it's all good
3: absolutely and I mean what what, what do you think um, I guess as areas of your game you'd like to kind of perhaps put a, a, a bit of improvement on this year oh I'll just uh, we're just carrying on doing the
2: same stuff, and like it'll come around when it do, um, when it's ready. You know, what I mean, I, it's it's all up now. It's just all up to me, um, my confidence and stuff like that. that's all nails down to. I'm working hard at all all aspects of the game, um, but yeah, just putting it together during those um, key moments, making quick decisions. That's that's what gonna work on.
3: And do you make sort of personal goals at all or is it just that, that one big one, the championship ring? Uh, for the team, if you're talking about
2: personal, I do have my own personal goals, which is it's it's pretty cliche. It's just like to get better every day, but like, obviously it's going into further detail. I just give myself some little short-term goals that I can reach and then progress from there.
3: And obviously there's been a brother and sister representing New Zealand at the Olympics before, but usually in the same sport. It'd be pretty unique if there were two of you there doing different sports.
2: Yeah, that will be quite good. Eh? It will be, be amazing. That will be really right? lovely.
3: And Val must be an inspiration. She's a pretty incredible athlete.
2: Nah, no, not, not at all. <laughs>
3: not at all? No way.
2: <laughs> not my sister. No, 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 Can't give her that.
3: She's older sister though, right? So she sort of throws the old beat down if she has to? Don't make me admit it. Don't make me admit that. And she never lets you win Monopoly, right? Oh, I beat her at everything. I beat her at everything. Ask her. Long jump? Yep. (laughs) Yep, you name it. (laughs) Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the biggest franchises in the league. Did you ever sort of sit back and kind of pinch yourself and think, man, growing up in Rotorua, Scots College, and now I'm here? Uh, Yeah, there hasn't been really like
2: one of those. I just like kind of went with the flow. You know what I mean? So... I mean, it would have been a lot different if I really, really uh, watched NBA when I was um, young, but I, I never did, so it never really was a big thing for me. Like, if I was like a chef for Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen, <laughs> I'd freak out, because that's my guy. I've watched him. I'd i be like a little like, schoolgirl. Like, oh, my God!
3: So if he came to the OKC cafeteria and criticised your cooking, would you be like, God damn, man, I'm getting roasted here.
2: I would lose it, and I'd
3: love him. I'd, I'd just... Could have myself, really, mate. I just love that guy. I'm going to fire a couple of real quick questions. Just first answer that comes to your head. Hardest player in the NBA? Hardest player. Toughest player in the NBA?
2: Metagardt, Al Jefferson.
3: Prettiest shooter in the NBA?
2: Prettiest. Katie?
3: Best player or hardest for the team to defend? Who's the MVP of the league? Who's the toughest guy to come up with? Uh, KD. Ma'anonu or Sonny Bill Williams, All black second five. Who would you pick? Sereveni Sibibatu.
1: That's NBA basketballer Stephen Adams talking to Joe Porter. Lisa Carrington is being hailed as New Zealand's most successful canoe racer following her double gold medal performance at the recent World Champs in Milan. Carrington's gold medal wins in the women's K1 200 and the K1 500 guarantee New Zealand a spot in each of those events at the Olympics next year, while a ninth place finish for New Zealand in the women's K4 has also earned them a team spot at Rio. Carrington now has five gold medals at the World Championships, overtaking Paul McDonald as New Zealand's most successful World Champion canoe racer. Matt Chatterton spoke to Canoe Racing New Zealand chief executive Mark Wetherall about just how important Carrington is for the sport in New Zealand.
4: She's outstanding, especially for the female side of uh, the sport. You know, if we look at um, her success in recent years, and you know the, the number of uh, young uh, young females that have joined the sport and, and are now. You know, aspiring to be uh, the next Lisa, you know, we look at uh, the women's K4 in particular, who you know have just recently qualified for the, for, for Rio, which um, you know, is outstanding. It's again creating some history for uh, for the sport. Um, but behind that, you know, there's a there's a group, uh, a regional large group of um, young females coming through. We had um two K four crews at the the recent junior champs, an under twenty three crew and an under eighteen crew and you know that's another eight young fe- uh you know eight young females who are striving for the uh Lisa. So that's massive. And then of course if you come across with the men I think the men will look at her and go, "Ooh, you know, um, that's the benchmark and, and they you know, they look at that and they have got to get themselves up as well, and um, yeah, I think that's you know, for the future for the sport. Uh, I think the women and you know, the women's side of the program is in pretty good heart, and yeah, uh, you know, we've got to sort of focus our attention now on, on trying to, you know, recreate um, something that we've been able to do in the women's, you know, behind lesser and, and the men's.
5: Now, when you do think of men's, uh, canoeing, you think of the likes of Ian Ferguson, Paul McDonald, and Ben Fui? Uh, where, yep. where is uh, the in terms of right now? Where are the men sort of situated in the in the world aspect?
4: Yeah, no, it's a good
5: question. I mean, we had,
4: um, three, uh, well, four, including, um, uh, Scotty Maitlew, our uh, Paralympian, uh, at the World Champs just gone and, and Scotty finished, uh, 10th, uh, in his, uh, his division in the para, um, para, um, events. Um, we also had a, uh, Marty McDowell, our K1 1000 paddler. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he had a pretty tough um, heat and didn't make it out, out of the heat. But you know, he, had, he had a reasonable uh, series of World Cups uh, back in May, where he made the A final um, for the K1 1000. So that was yeah, it was solid. And we also had a men's K2 crew that uh, went to the World Champs um, over the weekend, and, and um, they made it through the semi final. Um, you know, it's pretty tough in that men's environment. Not suggesting it not in the women's, but you know, I think you know we've Got a pretty clear uh, steer on, you know, in some of those events, you know, there's sort of 15 or 16 seconds between, uh, you know, the, the, the gold medalist and, and where our men are at. And, uh, you know, over, over a thousand metres, that's, um, you know, that's a huge boat length. So, yeah, you know, I think, you know, if, the sport of community racing, um, you know, we're putting some, um, some plans in place to, to really drive the, the men's program. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's going to be a, you know, a project as we look to Tokyo in 2020, but we're, um, we're shortlisted, um, for a full-time men's coach that we haven't, you know, never had type thing. So, um, I think, you know, what we've done with the women's K4 and the, and the women's program in the last, um, 12 months is, you know, is a good model. We employed a, a full-time, uh, women's coach, um, in October last year and, and you know he's 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 done an outstanding job with that that group of women and you know now got a crew to go to Rio. So we're looking at replicating that and, you know, putting some resources into it. we're very fortunate with the support we get from High Performance Sport New Zealand, um, that they provide us, not only in you know, in, in, in a financial sense but also the massive support around, you know, the the program and um yeah, just ongoing daily support and that, you know, to create, you know, what we like to call world class uh, daily training program. That's what we're striving to uh, Developed for canoe racing.
5: Yeah. You've uh, you've touched on it again. Uh, the uh, K4, the uh, women's, they qualified in the 500 for the Olympics. Then you've got the likes of uh, you've got the likes of Lisa, obviously qualifying pretty comfortably. How are you guys tracking for the Olympics?
4: Yeah, no, no, yeah, Matt. I mean, I think you know that Lisa's you know qualifying the boat um, in two events, uh, in the two K1 events is, is outstanding. You know. Um, we always you know, we had a pretty clear plan. We were really keen to qualify that women's uh, big boat, the K4, and, and you know, as I say, the girls have have done that. You know, I think they're a little bit disappointed with their, their final result in the final of the, of the race, but know, that, uh, they've got a pretty clear picture now of what they need to do between now and, um, you know, at Rio next year. And there's about a three second gap between first and, and ninth, which is what they got. So, you know, I'm real confident that, um, that they can get up to the podium. You know, I, I think that, uh, they are a real potential to do that next year. Um, if you look at the progress they've made in the last 12 months, you know, and I appreciate it's probably going to slow down a little bit progress wise, but, you know, I know that we'll be doing everything we can to, uh, to, to ensure that they have everything. Can, you now, if you look at those, the men, you know, we, we weren't able to qualify any boats at the World Champs, um, in the last few days, but, uh, our focus will now turn to Oceania, um, which is in February, uh, the Oceania Championships, which, you know, is an opportunity for us there to, to look to qualify some, uh, men to, to go to Rio. It's, it's going to be a hard road, but, um, you know, it's definitely an opportunity for them. So, um, yeah, to answer your question in short terms, we're, you know, really excited, you know, there's no doubt that. Lisa's on track uh, to podium, you know, based on uh, her, her, uh, her most recent results in, in both events. Um, want, want to put the, um, uh, the knocker on or what that might be, but, you know, you'd have to suggest that she, uh, she can get on that podium. And as I say, with the Women's Coast War, you know, we, we, we believe they can do that as well. So pretty excited.
1: That's the Chief Executive of Canoe Racing New Zealand, Mark Weatherall, talking to Matt Chatterton. The New Zealand golfer Danny Lee's begun living up to his potential on the PGA Tour this season, keeping up with and beating the world's biggest names along the way. The 25-year-old claimed his first win on the PGA Tour just last month at the Greenbrier Classic in West Virginia and has since been on a rapid ascent on the world rankings. Lee started the year ranked at 220th in the world and since his win in seven top 10 finishes, he's now climbed to 54th. The highest any New Zealand golfer has been since Michael Campbell back in 2005. The shy but quietly confident former Rotorua Boys High student says he started seeing big improvements in his game when he met his new coach, Drew Strickle, last year. He spoke to Barry Guy about what's changed.
6: I start working with him right after I finished second at Puerto Rico last week. When I finished second there, um, I didn't really like the way I swing and. It was uh, my game was very inconsistent, and I wanted to make it more consistent. And we've been tweaking a little bit, and um, now I'm very happy with my swing. And uh, it was it was going in the always right direction, and ever since I worked with him, so uh, I I can say probably we had a big success with changing my swing
0: what has changed uh, for you now that you're a winner on the pga tour
6: um probably the confidence level and it kind of makes you um believe not a believe um the word i'm looking for it kind of you know what you have to do out there after you win um uh, just yeah, I think you know what it takes to win out on the PJ Tour and uh, you are more comfortable about it every week and the one thing I really love the most is Thursday, Friday I always get to play with like top players out on PJ Tour very high ranked name players I think that kind of gives me a more more of a motivation and it kind of makes me play better when I play with those guys that just uh, there's always people watching and cheering for me out there so that that's been kind of helping me a lot.
0: Is there an issue perhaps though that uh, you know you can't afford to relax you know if you get your first win under your belt you can sort of breathe a little easier, and the pressure comes off you, but does that sort of cause its own problems, perhaps?
6: Mm, no, it doesn't mean right after I won the one, uh, one PJ Tour event, it doesn't mean it, it gets easier next week right away. Um, it just, you just know what you have to do in that situation, and it's you still got to work hard and try every shot. It's not just gonna, you know, come to you. You got to work for it. I think.
0: Uh, the the FedEx Cup, the, the sort of the playoff part of the season, uh, is about to start this this week. You're ranked mm-hmm. number ten. What what are your sort of uh, ambitions? What do you achieve? Want to achieve in these you know, last few tournaments?
6: Um, obviously, I am not that far from you know. Winning the FedEx Cup, so obviously now my price is on the FedEx Cup. My eyes looking on that, and um, I know it's not going to be easy, but if I have a feeling, if I just do what I've been doing, I have a good chance, and um, hopefully it will happen. Uh,
0: when might we see you competing back in New Zealand?
6: Um, I would love to go back to New Zealand, but uh, the New Zealand Open seems like always opens at um, during April, uh, which is when they have like World Golf Championships and Arnold Palmer Invitational during that week. So uh, it's very hard for me to go all the way down there and miss probably two events because because of that. I mean, I love to go back to New Zealand. Um, I hope they can change the date during November or December if it's possible, but um, maybe one day eventually I'll go down there and love to compete with my friends back in New Zealand.
1: That's New Zealand golfer Danny Lee talking to Barry Guy. The ASB Classic defending champion Venus Williams and French tennis star Joe Wilfred Songer have been revealed as the headline acts for next year's Festival of Tennis in Auckland. The tournaments, which will both be called the ASB Classic, will run through January. Williams, who's played in the ASB Classic twice before, defeated Danish tennis star Caroline Wozniacki in a thrilling three-set final in Auckland earlier this year, but it'll be the Frenchman's first time playing in New Zealand. Matt Chatterton caught up with tournament director Carl Budge to find out what
7: enticed seven-time Grand Slam champion Williams back to New Zealand. I don't think there's been a session that Venus has played since she started coming here that hasn't been sold out. Um, She's a giant of the sporting world. Uh, I don't think we truly appreciate Venus's power globally. Um, She's an absolute rock star, and uh, to have her loyal support, uh, it wasn't much of a a conversation, as you say. I knew she wanted to come, and we desperately wanted to come back, so um, we're very, very lucky.
5: And uh, now on uh, Joe, he's a big draw card, as you mentioned, a lot of people uh, keen to see him here. What do you expect to see from, or what do you think the fans will see from Joe next year?
7: Yeah, I think you'll see Joe. I think you'll see a whole lot of Joe. The the screaming, the yelling, the the jumping up and down, the, you know, the, the absolute raw aggression and power. He's a guy that's, uh, yeah, he, he's just a born entertainer. Um, yeah, he everywhere he goes, he's, uh, he, he's an absolute draw card. So to grab him, uh, we've tried it for three years, so to, to get him out here for the first time, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted.
5: And uh, who else uh, can we possibly expect to see in next year's tournament that maybe a few people aren't aware of?
7: Yeah, look, we've got to make a call who our top ten uh, player for the ASP Classic Women's Field will be. Um, yeah, there's both Caroline... Wozniacki and Arnavanovic have indicated they want to come. Um, we've also got interest from other top ten players. So we've, uh, we've got a bit of work to do now in, in figuring out um, which way we go. Now that uh, we've got Venus squared away, it's about trying to find the, the rest of the field. Um, and on the men's, trying to build some depth around Joe. Um, Joe's a, a superstar and, and will obviously headline the event, but uh, we obviously need other players that are going to be with him and... Um, you know, hopefully we can get some more top talent
5: the the whole tournament the whole you know two weeks here in New Zealand what does that sort of do for the game you think yeah Zealand? look
7: I think to I don't think we understand how big this tournament is. We we go out to the best part of 500 million people around the uh, around the world. It's a it's a huge global television property. So I think for us to be able to showcase you know uh, a truly global sport with truly global global sporting stars in New Zealand is a, a great opportunity, and, and certainly ignites a lot of passion uh, both from fans, but also people getting out and picking up rackets and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a game that we can all play. If I can still run around with the with dodgy knees, I think anyone can. So no, it's I think it's great for the sport and um, yeah, yes hoping that we can have a hundred and twenty-year anniversary in six years' time. That's ASB Classic Tournament Director Carl Budge talking to Matt
1: Chatterton. The Wellington Phoenix have found what they hope will be a goal scoring replacement for Nathan Burns having signed Dutchman Jeffrey Sarpong. The former Ajax Amsterdam and Real Sociedad players joined the club as a replacement for Burns, who's moved to the Japanese side FC Tokyo. There was interest in the 27-year-old Sarpong from clubs in Europe, and he had a pre-season trial at English side Blackburn Rovers. Just like Burns, Sarpong comes to the club having generally played on the wing, but Fingham's coach Ernie Merrick's confident he can turn
8: Sarpong into an out-and-out striker. It was a lot of due diligence. We made sure that uh, he was the type of player that we wanted from a skills perspective, from a physical perspective, speed-wise, and uh, his character. And uh, we wanted to get him over here before we finalised the deal, so we couldn't announce it. And, um, and now we've decided that he is the right man. We've had a lot of help, obviously, from Roly Bonavazia, but we've got our man, and usually the better players are the more difficult ones to sign, but we got him. Is he the... What sort of player is he? Where do you see him fitting into your system? He's he's similar to Nathan Burns in that he's very quick, good dribbler, has an eye for goal, can shoot with either foot and he's got an outstanding background. His pedigree is first class from Ajax through NEC Breda, uh, three seasons signed in La Liga and, uh, and someone I think will go from being a winger to a more direct type player. Did he need a lot of convincing? Yes, it took a while. Uh, There was obviously offers from other clubs and it's pretty tough for a a close, tight-knit family type of couple to to move away from family and come to the other side of the world. But uh, he saw the light. He heard, obviously, about New Zealand and about the Phoenix and so uh, he's pretty happy.
6: And
4: Raleigh's... um, Role in the whole thing. What can you outline that for us? Well,
8: I've I found that over my time as a coach that usually players have got. Uh, friends, or have worked with other players, or been at the same club as other players, and they can say, tell you so much more about a player. And in effect, I knew Joel Griffiths pretty well, but Andrew Durante gave me some real insights into Joel Griffiths, so it's the way I, I tend to work, but I don't restrict it to that. And uh, interestingly, it didn't come from Rowley in the first place, it came from some videos that I was looking at when I looked at when a club gets relegated, there's usually players become free. so Chris Greenacre, Des Buckingham, and myself and Andy Hedge have been looking at numerous players. I would like, I would think, there would be around about 50, 60 players that we've looked at, and we were pretty keen to get them over the line. We were down to three. I won't mention who the other two are before you ask, but we were pretty happy to to get uh, Jeffrey over the line because he was our first choice. Do
7: you see him as a direct replacement
8: for now? Yes, first team, high striker, direct replacement, definitely. Can't. Uh, sign a goal scorer they're just far too expensive everybody in the world wants one and um, and some of them like uh, Manchester United's signings you know you, you waste a few million dollars on them hopefully we've got the right person that will do a good job for us but I won't place them under a lot of expectation it, it's not just one person that scores goals in, in this team if it's one person then we're going to have problems and that's what happened at the end of last year so there'll be more players expected to become goal scorers in the team
2: is this the end of your action in
0: your
8: I never stop looking. You never know what's going to happen, but uh, I think now it's a case of let's see how we go in our tour in Sydney when we play the Wanderers in Sydney over there, and um, that gives us a couple more weeks to decide on whether we need another recruit or not. So at the end of last
2: season, you talked
7: about wanting an experienced striker in a centre-back as well. What's
8: changed since then? I think the focus is on the type of player that wins games for you. So we signed Blake Powell as a backup and he's been doing really well. Um, we brought in cabs prior to that, six months later, and then we brought in a really experienced player. And I would much rather focus on goal scorers and strikers, exciting players and defenders. From a defensive point of view, we've been really happy with the progress of of Justin Gully and before he got injured uh, Alex Rodriguez. And I think they can accommodate defensive roles for us. Plus we've got some youngsters that we're looking at very closely and I'd rather develop young New Zealand players in positions that may take a little bit longer to learn um, in a defensive role than up front. It's very hard to suddenly develop a goal scorer from a fairly young age, although I have to say a couple of the youngsters in our very successful Wellington United team who won the league with only one defeat, they've caught my eye. Ernie, how much of a work on is Jeffrey Sarpong for turning him into a striker? I think there's, there's a lot of work involved, and, uh, and that was part of our assessment, how coachable he was and how capable he was to learn. You're not teaching new tricks, you're just changing his on-field position. So he, he's got the speed, he's got the dribbling ability, it's really just his positioning. That's Wellington Phoenix Co.
1: Journey Merrick talking about the club's new signing Jeffrey Sarpong. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you want to see more sports coverage, you can go to our website at radionz.co.nz and you can also follow us on Twitter at rnzsport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Cusin. Bye for now.